Welcome to this podcast from Field Partner International. This is one of a series of interviews posted on our website and YouTube channel, where we will hear from experienced missionaries sharing stories and insights from their journeys. We are an online community and resource for Christian missionaries working across cultures. You can visit our website, fieldpartner.org, which features free video courses, blogs, podcasts, sermons, and more. Subscribe to this channel, our YouTube channel, or Facebook page to stay updated on our latest resources. Hello everyone, I'm Jennifer Bishop from Field Partner, and today I have the privilege of interviewing co-founder Christine Patterson. A few years ago, Christine and her husband Ross founded fieldpartner.org. So let's jump into the interview. Um, Christine, thank you for starting Field Partner. I'd love to hear a little bit about um, your life and what's led up to this stage where you've decided to um, launch an online training portal for cross-cultural mission workers. So tell us a little bit about um, your early years, where you were born and what your parents did. Okay. Um, well, I was born in a tiny little place in the middle of Africa, in Gozi, Burundi. And um, actually, all my siblings were born there as well. I was the youngest in the family. My parents were missionaries. And um, yeah, so I was, that was my norm. I just ran around as a little child. Um, I could speak the local language. Later on, I learned French. And so I was trilingual by the time I was about three. Um, and then, um, so I was sent to boarding school at the age of about five and began to lose my connection with my African friends. And that was when I came back after one term away and find that I couldn't communicate like I had. I couldn't remember the word for hide or seek or something. And I was losing my connection. I then began to retreat very much into myself. And my siblings were all older. Um, they started going off to boarding school. Um, and uh, so I had a fairly lonely childhood. I didn't really know um, how to connect very well with adults. And I didn't then very much have, have kids my own age. So when I went to boarding school at the age of six, um, just across the border in, in Uganda, I did then begin to find uh, friendship with people, but I still felt uh, kind of disconnect inside about um, who I really was. So uh, fast track at the age of 13, after doing um, schooling in three different schools in Africa, um, I was sent back to boarding school in, in Wales. And um, that was when I had um, my first experience of culture shock without knowing what on earth it was, um, where I just felt like an alien from another planet, um, going to boarding school with people who had grown up with pop music and you know all the kind of culture uh, mm. back then. Um, I had absolutely no knowledge of it at all, and I just felt totally alienated. And so then began a real anger. I felt anger, angry with God. I felt angry with my parents. I felt um, this isn't fair that I'm growing up feeling like this and so on. So I became quite a rebellious teenager. Um, and then had a very strong encounter with God when I was um, just before I did my A-levels and um, just before I left school. So that was kind of, um, I felt reconciling myself with my past. Mm. But I little knew how actually a lot of these inner feelings were still growing within me. And so again, fast forward, I didn't know anything about um, what I was lacking 
as a child coming to England in terms of support and help. Um, and I didn't know the identity of the third culture kid, which I later learned about, um, which is very, very similar um, to anybody who's had a, um, a background of being born outside of their passport culture and then um, just feeling like uh, they don't really belong. Who am I? Where do I belong? Nobody understands and um, everybody leaves. Those are the kind of four things that TCKs will tend to feel. Mm. So that definitely fueled why I wanted later to, um, to really investigate all of this for people who are working in other cultures. Yeah. Okay, so then how did that experience kind of shape who you became post-school? So tell us a little bit about your steps into college or university or work post-school. Okay, so I had just really recommitted my life to Jesus. I, I had a really strong encounter with him, which just transformed everything. And I was on fire when I went to university, met other people who were really um, wanting to, to follow and, and get involved with um, what it means to be a Christian in our, in our world. And so that we, had, we formed a, a Christian union at, at college. And so I met my husband, Ross, when he came to speak at the, at the CU, the Christian Union. And um, he then announced that he was going to be a missionary in um, Taiwan. In, uh, he was moved, leaving um, the UK and going to Asia. Um, I had, in, the, in that brief time that we were together, I had really fallen in love with him. Um, but I thought, well, how am I ever going to pursue this? <laughs> he, it took six years, but eventually um, we did get married. And so for me then, it was a brand new culture again. So I'd got my roots in Africa and now um, my wings, if you like, were going to be in Asia. Mm. Um, but neither he nor I had any cross-cultural training. Mm. Um, so we both kind of immersed ourselves in, uh, he'd already got the language by the time we were married. He'd been in Taiwan for about six years. And um, so I arrived um, all kind of gung-ho, wanting to find out more, and then had a really crushing experience of, of culture shock, again, without having a clue what it was, because that, nobody had trained us, you know. So we had a pretty tough start to our marriage. Um, I think we would both agree that that was the case. Um, and then um, after we had our first child and I'd finished language study and everything, um, my parents, who were still missionaries in Africa, they wrote and said, look, we're never going to meet our new granddaughter unless you come and visit us in Rwanda. So um, they gave us a ticket to go out to Rwanda. And while we were there, this was 1978, 79, just at the end of the Cultural Revolution in China, if you know what the history is. Mm. And um, so China was beginning to open up. And we met these very tall, um, from the northeast of China, um, kind of exports. They were trying to export communism, but you, clearly they didn't really believe it. It was just what they were told to do. Um, but they were teaching the Africans um, basketball and table tennis um, as a sort of, um, well, it was called ping pong diplomacy back in the, those days with... Um, uh, so trying to gain influence, China gaining influence in Africa, even back then. Um, but we found that we could communicate perfectly with them using the Mandarin that we'd learned in Taiwan. We were able to communicate with these guys. And they were the ones who said, you must come to our country because we need this message about Jesus. 
Um, so we saw that as a kind of Macedonian core. We went back to Taiwan. We tidied up our affairs in Taiwan and um, then went through the States trying to get a, a post in China. And to our crushing disappointment, we couldn't, couldn't get anything. We couldn't get to China at all. Somebody, people said, if you tried six months ago, we could have given you a post. Maybe in six months time we'll be able to, but right now there's nothing. Mm. So we were quite confused and we went, landed back in um, the UK. Um, just saying, Lord, we don't understand. Why, why did you lead us to leave Taiwan? And then now you're not opening the door into China. At which point we were invited by Overseas Missionary Fellowship, which used to be the China Inland Mission, to reopen in the UK for them um, the, the China field. So instead of, uh, they had sort of dissipated throughout the whole of Southeast Asia, mm. um, but now they wanted to reopen a, um, a kind of China interest because things were starting to open up again. So we did that for four years. Meanwhile, planting a church. <laughs> in the northeast of England. And um, so anyway, so that's how we got back to the UK after our first stint in Taiwan. And that was again, re-entry shock mm. without having a clue what that was. You know, the, the feeling of everything's changed, people don't, under, don't get us. Mm. We, um, you know, a feeling of our story doesn't matter. Mm. You know, and, and so all those things can again, kind of formed the experiences that gave us the burden to help other people navigate their cross-cultural experiences. And so how long did that season last before you went back cross-culturally abroad again? To our amazement. I mean, I remember actually specifically praying, Lord, don't let it be longer than six months. <laughs> I don't want to stay in the UK. Uh, we landed up being, I think, just nigh on 15 years. Wow. Um, yeah, so... Um, we did, we worked with OMF for four years and then Ross began to feel, look, there's so much that, ne that China needs. Um, but, you know, we're just being asked to form a prayer fellowship in, in the UK to pray again for, and which, you know, was fantastic. But, you know, going around countless churches, just talking about China and the, and the doors opening and so on. He thought, well, the door is opening. What else can we do? Hmm. Um, so he then approached um, Derek Prince, I don't know if you know him, um, and asked if uh, he felt the Lord was saying, take Derek Prince's ministry into China, because he had heard from people in China how much they needed foundational teaching. Mm. So we left OMF at that point and started um, working with Derek Prince Ministries. Um, and over the years, probably between that and another ministry that we started, we've probably provided, I don't know, anything up to 25, 30 million books and um, teaching devices for, for China. So did you ever actually live and work in China? No, to our amazement, no, we mm. didn't. We started the work that we did for China from the northeast of England. Mm. And then we continued it in Singapore when we moved there in 1994. And then subsequent to that, we moved back to Taiwan, which is where we still are. Right. So, not right now, not during lockdown. <laughs> on a side note, you would have raised your family largely in the UK. Do you think that's been good for them that they were not really third culture kids? Well, I would say they were because their journey, when we, because we moved to Singapore in 1994 and our eldest by then was 16. Um, so still below the, the mm -hmm. um, 
the 18 year mark. Um, then um, 14, 12, and our youngest tw two were twins. Um, and they, so the four of the younger ones had been born in, in England. Mm. Um, and so when we moved to Singapore, um, it was another culture again for them. And I think they, they went for the same reason as we knew nothing. They also knew nothing about what culture shock felt like. You know, we, we, had, we were not able to prepare them because we didn't know ourselves. And it was only once we were living in Singapore that I attended, um, it was called a member care conference. And I thought, that's interesting. I wonder what that is. <laughs> so I went to, because we, you know, we hadn't been with a missionary society or anything. We hadn't had any orientation. And now I didn't really know what member care was. Mm. And so we wanted, I wanted to find out, uh, attended this seminar by a man called David Pollock, who is, we discovered a sort of founder member of the new um, understanding of what member care needs to be for missionaries, caring for people on the field, caring for their families. And especially he was a leading light in, in uncovering what the TCK, third culture kid identity is. Mm. So that was very helpful to me to kind of start really going back through my own life, recovering mm. some sort of understanding of what I'd been through. And then realizing that actually we were exposing our kids to all of this, um, all unknowingly. Um, and so hopefully being able to help them navigate it to a degree as well. Then while we were there, our plans for their education really fell apart. So we landed up sending them to school in India, a boarding school in India, which boarding school after my experience and even Ross's experience, we definitely were not happy doing that, but it was the only door that opened. Mm. And so um, that's what they did. And, uh, you know, it was a mixed experience for them as well, I have to say. Mm. Okay. Mm. So then you moved into a, tra a training capacity through Antioch School of Mission. Tell us a little bit about that and how you've been able to form the foundation of what is now Field Partner. Okay. Well, <clears throat> we had already, again, started sending people, you know, and you tend to drift back to your own experience. You know, when, when we started the work inside China, uh, the first thing was just pr producing the material that the underground church was, was wanting. And then we needed to get it to them somehow. So we started courier teams, people carrying the hand carrying through the border, which was quite adventurous, <laughs> carrying this, um, the, these books in. And um, then as people traveled around China, they began to get a heart for the nation. They wanted to, you know, we had, we started prayer teams. We started working orphanages. We started lots of things. And then people wanted to go not just short term, they wanted to go long term. So at that point, we realized that we had to really bite the bullet about training. And um, in the meantime, I'd been to this um, seminar and we understood, understood that we had to take it very seriously. Mm. So, um, yeah, we started, with people, we, first of all, outside of China, in, a, in North Thailand, we, had, we started a school with a, a guy called Barry McKnight, who was a long-term Thai missionary, but he had a burden for training. And so he hosted our new recruits in his own home. Mm. And um, they would, um, I think they did three or four months staying in Thailand, and then they had to navigate a brand new culture moving in for that practical inside China. 
And so they would do language study, which would give them a visa. And then they could get involved in practical work. So that became the model. We, we started a one-year program that was um, three or four months of kind of teaching and training and um, getting understanding of what crossing culture meant. And then we would do um, about eight months of, um, seven or eight months of practical um, inside. And then we actually navigated or migrated the, um, the school inside China for another few years. Mm. Um, so that was the, that became the pattern. And that was then the portal or the way in the gateway into working with us in China. They'd already done a year mm. and it was a standalone year. So mm. you could choose to leave if that's all you felt that God was saying, or you wanted to go somewhere else, not, not stay in China. Um, and so a lot of people went through the school who didn't land up staying, but other people, it, they'd already then done their, their training, their orientation, and we, we were able to place them doing whatever they felt called to do. Mm. So that became the model for, for what we did. And then when things began to get very much more um, sensitive and tight in China, what we landed up seeing, well, two things really, we began to see that this concept could be much larger, much broader. You know, if we put the training material online, then people could access it and, and use it in their own context. Mm. Um, and then we began to realize more and more how many of the Chinese were leaving China and were themselves needing to be trained. So Field Partner has now taken on a, a dual identity, if you like. One is, um, one is to train people in English but for, for actually more of a focus on youth sending countries, you know, so people who are coming, we, we feel a burden for people coming from Africa or other places who wouldn't have access to training so that they could access it in, in English or people who are already on the field and didn't get um, the help that they needed at the time. Mm. Um, people who haven't really any idea how to begin, you know, I've got a thing called Crossing Culture 101, which is just the very foundation basic stuff that you would need to know before you even start so mm. people can do that on their own in their own time and then see well maybe they need something a bit more like going to bible college or whatever go, um, go and get more training more preparation mm. and then on the on the re reverse side coming back we want to see people viewed as a as an asset you know they've, they've, they've come back from the field they've got all this um, these riches of experience. Mm. So how can we utilize people who've been on the field to become coaches and mentors and, and supporters of those who are still going out? Mm. Yeah, so now I'm kind of more developing the English side and Ross is more developing the Chinese side. We don't in any way feel it's about us. We want, to, it's, we want it to be a gift um, that you know, we'll step away from eventually, but um, for the meantime, we're involved. Mm. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing your story, Christine. Coming to the end of the interview, I'd just love to invite everyone to um, go across to fieldpartner.org and check out all the training and courses that are there. Christine is actually launching a coaching program in September 2020. So if you're interested in finding out about the coaching, you can email christine at fieldpartner.org. That's all for the interview today. Thank you, Christine. Um, and uh, goodbye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Field Partner. 
You can watch or listen to more interviews by subscribing to this channel, our YouTube channel, or our Facebook page. For free cross-cultural mission courses, blogs, sermons, and other resources, visit our website, fieldpartner.org.